Fly away, Stanley. Be free. Get your kicks on Route 66. I know this might be a bad time right now, but uh, you owe me $32,000 in legal fees. Life would be a dream. Sweetheart, hello, hello again. Shaboom and open with me again. Boom. Be stop. Get your kicks on On your mark, get set. Uno for the money, two for the show. Try to get ready and quattro to. I can't believe Hello, everybody, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 279 for the week of June 17th, 2012. This week, I'm coming to you live from the cutest little town in Carburetor County, Radiator Springs, as the town from the Disney Pixar Cars film has literally been brought to life at Cars Land at Disney California Adventure Park. I had a chance to visit Cars Land and Buena Vista Street for a special sneak preview of the lands that opened on June 15th, and I'm bringing you a full review recorded live from Cars Land. We'll discuss the two lands, their history, both literal and according to Disney backstory, details, attractions, shops, restaurants, and so much more. We have a lot to cover for an experience that had me happier than a tornado in a trailer park. I'll then have the answer and winner for last week's Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week and pose a new Cars-themed question for your chance to win a very special Cars Land prize package. Be sure and stay for the announcements, including information about the next WDW Radio Meet of the Month in Walt Disney World, as well as some of your voicemails at the end of the show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. of the Ornament Valley, broadcasting live from beautiful downtown Radiator Springs. I'm the first one on the new road! Punch me, Guido. Punch me in the face. This is the most glorious day of my life. On June 15th, Disney California Adventure Park celebrated its grand reopening ceremony with the premiere of two brand new lands, Cars Land and Buena Vista Street. It marks the end of a five-year expansion that really marks a, uh, a milestone in the growth of Disneyland and certainly Disney California Adventure Park. I was fortunate enough to be able to be invited by Disney to come out and experience Cars Land for a sneak peek media event and then be here for the grand opening as well too. And I am joined today by two friends who are here who shared the experience with me as well, and I want to share what we experienced with you guys who are listening uh, to give you an idea of just what's happening over at Buenos Vista Street and Carveland. So I'm joined once again by Becky Mankin from MEI and Mouse Fan Travel. Hey, Lou, my feet really hurt, but man, this has been great. <laughs> 
There's been a lot of walking, but it's listen, this is all good stuff. And of course, Jeremy Marks. Hey, everybody. And so, like I said, we were uh, invited to come out for a couple days uh, by Disney. Um, so grateful to be able to be here and see Cars Land, especially now that we're here sitting just outside of Cars Land on June 15th, the official opening day. And we'll get to the fact that there were literally two to 3,000 people who camped out overnight to be part of this milestone event. Uh, I've had a chance, a little bit of history, I've had a chance to come out to Disneyland uh, probably about five or six times over the past number of years. And... I've always enjoyed um, what Disney California had, Adventure had to offer, but was really excited when I heard about what was coming, this $1 billion investment in the retheming of Buena Vista Street and Cars Land. And let's sort of talk about those individually, because they are very different and distinct. And I want to talk about Buena Vista Street first. Uh, to a certain degree, it's almost somewhat overshadowed by the opening of Cars Land, because what it has as far as the attractions and really a whole new themed land. But let's go back to Buena Vista Street, because... What I like is that these two areas of the parks, these two very distinct areas of the park, celebrate, you know, Buena Vista Street, the life and legacy of Walt Disney and his story, because it's all about storytelling, and the immersive type of storytelling experience that takes place over in Cars Land. All right, so both you guys have been coming to Disneyland and California Adventure for years, and the thing about Buena Vista Street is it has changed the face of California Adventure from the moment you walk in. The California sign is gone. And now it's very much a transformative experience. Like when you enter the Magic Kingdom, you definitely go back in time to the 1920s. So like when 1923, when Walt literally, you know, stepped off a train with his pants, his obviously he had pants on, but with his <laughs> pants, with his coat and his sort of cardboard suitcase and nothing but a dream and a lot of drawing tools in place. What was your impression as you first came down and first saw Buena Vista Street? Well, I got to tell you, it was it, you, the story is, as you pointed out, is really prevalent this time, as opposed to what California Adventure was before, where you walked in, there was a store and a store and a photo pass, and then the um, the Golden Gate Bridge, and you walked under it, and it just didn't seem to flow well. Now, when you walk in, you really do have that feeling of of years gone past, with the the trolley car and the um, the vendors that are on the street and the old time gas station that's up on the left-hand side as you walk through the gates, you really do get a sense that you are stepping back into Walt's story. Yeah, so when you go to Cars Land, you are stepping into the car story from a first-person perspective, and you're right, you are doing This is what Hollywood would have looked like to Walt in the 20s and 30s, and again, it's all about the details and the storytelling. So the first thing that impacted me when I first saw it was the incredible architecture. Gone is the big sun wheel. Now you feel as though you really have stepped back in time. You talk about some of those landmarks like the red car trolley, the Carthay Circle Theater, which we'll get to the restaurant and lounge that's there. Yum. But a lot of landmarks, too, from, like, uh, even the entrance, you know, uh, modeled after that Pan Pacific Auditorium, which is just like the entrance to Disney's Hollywood Studios. Yeah, it is. Um, one thing that's great when you're walking down the street, you are looking at the equivalent of 1923 in July when Walt got off the train, came into California, you get to see what he was going, what he actually was able to experience, getting on a red car to Trent to move yourself around from one end of the street all the way down to the other. The sounds, the sights, just even the signage themselves is just bright and it just invites you in. And, every, and everything ties back specifically to Walt. So the things you see are not just historic Hollywood landmarks, but when you see things like the Hyperion Bridge, um, that was that was modeled after the Glendale Hyperion Bridge, which was near Walt's 
early Hyperion Studios. When you see the Carthay Circle Theater, obviously you know that's where Snow White, Disney's Folly, premiered in 1937. Um, in the Central Plaza, much like we have over at Disneyland at Walt Disney World, you've got a statue erected to Walt with Mickey. And this one's called Storytellers. And it's the interesting thing about the Storyteller statue, and we'll get to some of the architecture things too, is unlike the partner statue, it's not up on a pedestal. Right. It's not something that you have to look at. Here, you can go and stand next to Walt and put your arm around him. There's And he's there with Mickey and his suitcase. And, you know, you literally and figuratively can touch and stand next to Walt as opposed to having to, to look up at him. Right. I can see that as we walked in, that was the first longest queue that we saw when we first walked into the park because there were so many people who wanted their picture. They wanted to stamp their memory of, uh, have a picture of the um, of the moment that they could stand next to Walt and, and have this picture. So it is so much better to walk up to it and be part of it and really be immersed in that experience. And I think that's going to be a word I use a lot from everything we discussed today is you really are being immersed. And like you said, the, the sights and the sounds, the sounds alone when you walk I- into the park before you were hit with Beach Boys music and a whole bunch of things that reminiscent of California. This really has that 20s, 30s, 40s flair, even from the music to the architecture. And I want people, when they come here, to take a really close look at the Storyteller statue because there's a lot going on there, not just from his steamer trunk and the tags on it, but look at Walt himself. It's the young Walt. It, you can sense that idealized optimism in his face. It's sort of a man who's embarking on a brand new adventure. He looks excited. He knows that something in his future is going to be really good. He's got Mickey next to him. He knows just exactly what direction he wants to go in. It's a great statue, just the enthusiasm on his face. And again, as you step into um, that Carthay Circle there, you're hit with the Carthay Circle Theater. You're hit with a lot of that architecture. We'll talk about some of the shopping all of which is very much tied back to Walt's early days. But one of the things I think you're going to notice very early on as you start walking down Buena Vista Street is you're going to see the overhead wires for the red car trolley system. That actually operated back in Southern California from about 1901 through 1961, and it now runs through Buena Vista Street into Hollywood land and stops a number of times all until it takes you down all the way to the Hollywood Tower Hotel. Um, there are two... Of two different red car systems here, just like there were uh, from the old Pacific Electric Railways. You'll notice they're different colors. They're styled a little bit differently. They represent different eras of the system's history. And, you know, again, too, it's a simple attraction, right? It's a conveyance. It's a transportation system. But it is an attraction because the trolley drivers are dressed in that 1920s. They'll talk to you and explain to you everything about the trolley car system. And it is, it's very entertaining as well as just a way to get from one end of the street to the other. Definitely. It's, if you want just transportation, yes, they can do that for you. But to be able to get onto a red car, make the trip around, you'll pass by another red car coming the opposite direction. To have that, just the feeling of like another vehicle to get you to another place, a historical uh, vehicle, much like Main Street in Disneyland. And beyond just the trolley themselves and the uh, trolley conductors, there is also entertainment there. There is streetmosphere-style entertainment there. So the red car newsboys will come into town on the trolley multiple times in the day and sing songs, again, from that era. So there's California, Here I Come, and 
There's if you if you've ever watched Newsies, it's very much inspired by the Newsies uh, style of music. Right, and it's just not only the entertainment, but all of the um, cast members. I was going to say characters, but they really are because they are costumed during the period and of course you've got this streetmosphere that's running around and I saw uh, a, a, a mail carrier and a, a police officer that were engaging with the people that were on the street. It really does have a great entertainment value from days gone by. Yes, um, the, we had the police officer, the newspaper uh, boys. There's also citizens that are just wandering around talking to people, just literally just come right up to you and start asking what they think of what's what you think of what's going on right now, not necessarily at the park itself, but just your experience of being in their world, and they will pull you into their story. It reminds me; it's very much evocative of Hollywood and Sunset Boulevard over at Disney's Hollywood Studios. That is the the Hollywood that never was that we always sort of dreamed about. This is the Hollywood that really was, and some of these characters who are there are incredibly interesting. And you, know, you talked about the sights and the sounds because Disney World, Disney World and Disneyland are multi-sensory experiences. It's not just what you see but what you hear. They want you to touch and interact with and in some cases hug your environment in terms of the characters. But things like the red car trolley when you hear that music, when you hear the trolley bell and the trolley whistle, it's a very subtle, it's a very small little detail but important for sort of setting the atmosphere of where you are. Yeah, as, as a matter of fact, when I first walked onto the street because I it took me a moment to really remember where I was because you would hear the bell and you turn around and look and there's this big red car trolley and it is nothing like it was before, which really does lend to it being the grand reopening of the land. Yeah, and certainly one of the things, sort of that, that visual weenie that draws you in, that, that draws you down a Buena Vista Street is the Carthay Circle. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, this theater where Snow White premiered in 1937. Uh, very much certainly modeled directly after the original Carthay Circle. Uh, this is a, a great anchor, as it was, a sort of Buena Vista Street. Um, it's very identifiable, certainly to Disney fans. Uh, for food enthusiasts, there is a restaurant upstairs, which I haven't had a chance to eat in as yet, but it's definitely on the list of things to do. But it, when you walk into the Carthay Circle restaurant, that downstairs lobby area is so incredibly well-themed with, this, with the dark Art Deco's uh, style of architecture, and it has a, a certain level of opulence and elegance to it as soon as you walk in. Oh my gosh, yes. And it actually starts from when the doors open, because it is a theater. So the cast members out front are dressed as, as theater folks, and they open the doors for you, and you walk into this um, this area, this holding area that you check in before you go upstairs. But it is very opulent. It's rich. The colors are dark. It really does make you feel like um, you're, you're surrounded in Art Deco, and there's all kinds of showpieces and, and um uh, museum pieces from history of Disney, which is just so wonderful, again, to immerse you in the experience. Yeah, they tell the story of how the Carthay Th- Circle Theater ties in with Snow White and the history of the Walt Disney Company. But if you take the time to look at some of the architectural details, the rich, the, the heavily, you know, the, the carved woods and the sort of the Spanish revival architecture, it's modeled after the Carthay Circle, but not an exact duplicate. So Disney put a lot of their own details in there as well. And from a historical perspective, Jeremy, you know, and I who are D23 members, we love the history stuff. To see stuff that literally was sort of pulled out of the archives and put on display there uh, is really neat to see as well, too. I do know that folks in the Disney archives have been spending a lot of time at Carthay Circle um, trying to make sure that the pieces that are going in there fit very well. In fact, they've got 
original cells uh, from Snow White and the Seven Dwarves that are available to be seen inside. The, the archives have made sure that what is shown there is very indicative of the time period and what people would have experienced there also. And the thing about it, when I walked in last night, and, and I was asking you, Becky, you've eaten at the Carthay Circle yeah. restaurant upstairs. Downstairs is a lounge, and it's a place to get um, some sort of Southern California-style cuisine, some, some light meals and, and uh, wine or whatever at the bar. But it gave me this idea that, like in the 20s, you know, when you went out to a movie premiere, it was an event. It was an occasion. It was something that you got dressed up to go and do. And I, and I asked you, I said, oh, you know, is this the kind of place you're supposed to be getting? Even though it's inside of a theme park, it doesn't feel that way because of how elegant it is. Not a bit. And it's amazing because when I first walked in, you have that feeling that kind of waves over you like, am I dressed okay for this? <laughs> because when you, you go upstairs, and it's almost like it, it's kind of reminiscent of the Brown Derby. But, of course, the Brown Derby has a lot of tables, and they're all close to each other. And they're trying to get people in and out of there as quick as they can. But here... The tables are very private, and it's set up so beautifully. And it, again, you have those dark woods, and you have the people who look like you should be in a tux. <laughs> you, would, you would feel fine if you were in a tux in an evening gown being up there. But, of course, you can go up there in, in shorts and so forth, theme park wear. But they have private little areas that have private tables with private rooms and um like I said, more off-to-the-side locations. So you really do feel like you're in an upscale restaurant. And the menu reflects that, too. It, it was uh, inspired by Andrew Sutton, who was executive chef for places like Napa Rose. Yeah. Uh, so you understand the kind of food that's going to be there. There's multiple varieties of st- sustainable fish. Um, there's sushi-grade yellowtail, another reason for me to go. But you also get things that you might not expect, like uh, an udon noodle bowl with red Thai curry broth. Angus Burger. So there's something, a, a wide variety. Mm-hmm. Becky, this clearly requires another trip for us <laughs> to uh, Carthay Circle and maybe even a live review oh. at Carthay Circle. I dig that. And I just got myself a free meal, Jeremy, for you and me. <laughs> um, but let's talk about some of the, look, because we have a lot to cover. Let's okay. talk about some of the other food options available uh, on Buena Vista Street, as long as we're on the food. There's the Fiddler of Pfeiffer and Practical Cafe. That's a quick-service bakery. Uh, open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I know. You were very excited <laughs> to be one of the first people to officially uh, partake of the joy that, for you, that is Starbucks coffee. Once the, the gates opened and once we had cleared from, from the uh, ceremony itself, I went right to the new Starbucks. And I think they said I was like third <laughs> since the, it opened. Yes, they make the mochas and the frappuccinos. And yes, Starbucks is fully on display there. And and the, they even have the breakfast menu from the regular Starbucks. So it's very familiar to those of you who like Starbucks. It's a great space. There's a lot of counter um, activity, so it doesn't feel like you're going to be in a very long line. So well done in there. Hats off. Going to be great for coffee. And there's about 135 seats. And they also have sandwiches and stuff, yeah. too. There are other than it the Carthay Circle, <laughs> they don't have another sit-down restaurant, but you can get um, sandwiches and things like that, yeah. as well as, as soups and snacks and whatnot. There's also Clarabelle's hand-scooped ice cream and Mortimer's Market. And I mentioned them by name because, again, the choices of names very important to Disney history. So uh, they very much want to associate everything that you see and everything that you uh, do with that early, early history of Walt Disney animation. Um, as well, let's stay very quickly on Buena Vista Street before we move over to Carfland because there's obviously shopping there as well, too. Here, all the shops so very well redone in that early uh, Art Deco style. Oswald's is right in Buena Vista Plaza. And we've already seen a lot of people walk around with the Oswald, I want to call them Mickey ears, but they're Oswald rabbit ears. 
Yeah, they're they're amazing. It's the re- normal cap you see on a Mickey Mouse hat, but ears that are standing up about probably eight, nine inches above their heads with an Oswald face on the front instead of a Mickey face. Yeah, a lot of people are, are digging the uh, the Oswald ears. have to go find those. And, of course, I know that they've been given away at E3, so we have to see if they're actually on sale here because if they are, we're all going home with them because they rock. <laughs> On the east side of the plaza is Los Feliz Five and Dime. Again, very much like those old-style Five and Dime stores, which have have pretty much disappeared. But again, Los Feliz, that area of L.A., which is near where Walt's original Hyperion Studios were built, this has uh, normal souvenir merchandise, T-shirts and and hats. They have some really neat uh, uh, souvenir, like figurines, again, of that little Walt and Mickey statue, which I really liked. Big Top Toys has lots of toys um, themed towards classic Disney films. Peter Pan, there's Tinkerbell and and, um, uh, and Dumbo and things like that. It, it very much is themed after the film Dumbo. You'll see in everything from the background music to the artwork on the walls to the art on the ceiling as well. Uh, we were in, in Elias and Company this morning, which is the largest shop on Buena Vista Street. And this very much pays tribute to those very large uh, Art Deco department stores and um, obviously Elias was Walt Disney's father I found a hidden rocketeer up no. on the site I did on the second level which <laughs> I, I dug I thought was really cool but there's a lot of Walt merchandise here you can get the you can get merchandise themed for Cars Land and, and other parts of Disneyland but there was Walt merchandise there was Walt shirts it was a Walt fedora hat which I thought was cool and a lot of things specific to Again, honoring that legacy of Walt Disney, especially in the men's section. They had the clothes uh, with the shirts. One thing I found there that I need to go back and get, they had uh, cups with uh, Walt's old business card back from the Kansas City days on one side and a picture of Walt on the other side. That right there, I mean, you're, that you're going back to before 1923 right. for that information, so... Again, places like Kingswell Camera Shop. That was the, the Kingswell Avenue was where one of the early animation studios was. There's Julius Katz and Son, inspired by Julius the Cat, an animated cat from the old uh, Alice uh, in Cartoonland shorts of the 20s. Atwater Ink and Paint, um, also a coffee, tea, and snack place, refers to the Atwater Village of L.A. And Trolley Treats, which we had a chance to experience. Uh, <laughs> I saved the best for last, right? Um, there's packaged candy, but there's also signature items from the Disney Candy Kitchen. We actually had a chance to get into the kitchen. I got my hands and my face and my shirt <laughs> dirty as I was in there with one of the chefs uh, making some banana marshmallow treats with caramel and fudge. I'll, I'll put a link in the uh, show notes to the video that we shot there. But um, one of the things that we had noticed, uh, not necessarily on the inside, as we couldn't take away our eyes away from the food, but outside in the display windows, and all sort of vignettes, like Main Street USA, those, those vignettes in the windows help to tell the story and set the mood. But we also saw a, a lot of tributes to vintage Disneyland, right? And what we saw in the window was a display of Rock Candy Mountain. Yep. We sat there, we're across the street, and I kept hearing this ding-ding sound like a trolley, but the trolley obviously was not running at that time. And I finally look over when I heard it, and I see a little trolley going around Big um, Candy Rock Mountain. And it's like, wow, Jet Blue, look, 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 look. And so it's just pulling back the history of it and just little t- bits and pieces of what was possible and what they can bring back and show us that could have been. Right. And, it, and it connects to Walt, right? It was an attraction that Walt had 
designed for Disneyland Park that was never built. I was going to say, basically, you two geeked out is what happened here because I can see both. You talk about geek, geeked out in the past tense. We're still <laughs> geeking out. <laughs> I know, but your face is just lit up when you were talking about this Rock Candy Mountain thing, so that's very cool. And I think that's what Buena Vista Street really does. I think for people who maybe are not familiar with, you know, we all say it was started by a mouse. No, it was started by Walt Disney. And for people who aren't familiar with Walt's story, it's told in theme, in architecture, in plaques, uh, all around um, Buena Vista Street. And it's one of those places that is meant to be wandered and explored and taken the time to go through. No, there's not necessarily attractions per se to queue up for, but there is a lot to see there. And Jeremy, you and I were talking too. There's something that we like in the Disney parks that I was so happy to see come back to. He's looking at me like, where are you going with this? With that, come, and, come back and be present um, in this area, and that's live entertainment, right? So we talked about the citizens of Buena Vista Street, the, the red car newsboys that come in on the red car trolleys. And then this morning we saw another musical group called Five and Dime. And there's sort of a lot of that... Um, ensemble jazz type music there uh, the lead singer is Dime and she has a story behind her she's traveled Route 66 so here's a connection to Cars Land all the way from Chicago she's dreaming of making it big and it's a fun it's an interactive thing because they pull guests in to sing and dance with them and we love that sort of the idea of this sometimes impromptu uh, unanticipated live music in the parks well it takes you from just like pretty much reading a book to being pulled into the book itself and becoming a character of it. They will, if they can, and as long as you're willing to let them, they will make you a part of the story. They will have you interact with them to help direct what's going to happen next. You just made a great segue because you're talking about (laughs) interacting and being part of a story. Dime came all the way down Route 66, and that's exactly where you are led into Cars Land. And Cars Land takes you down Route 66 and right into Radiator Springs in Carburetor County. I almost, <laughs> almost was going to... Well, I think I almost did go into a bad Mater impression. And, yeah, this is where I geek out. This is where I get very excited because you want to talk about a yeah. true immersive experience. Radiator Springs, uh, the, the, the setting for cars has been recreated in three dimensions. And, you know, it's hard to articulate in audio. Certainly not even video can capture the panoramic settings of the mountain range in the back and what Cars Land represents as far as taking what you saw in animated form on screen and bring it to life in three dimensions because we are used to seeing things from a third-person perspective when we watch a movie, right? Well, here, you are sort of plucked out and thrown into the movie and as you're walking down, radio, uh, down Route 66 into Cars Land, you feel as though you have sort of been put inside that Pixar film because it is recreated in such exceptional detail. No doubt about it, and I can't stress that enough because as you walk down, like you said, you are you're in the movie. You are in the movie, and I forget who it was. I think it was you or somebody said they'd heard a child say, "Is this where Cars was filmed?" <laughs> that says it right there because if if it's so it's so perfectly. Um, matched to the movie you are in the movie especially at night but of course we'll get there in a second but all the details the scale everything is is perfect well i mean going back to the film itself again this was a john lasseter very personal to john lasseter because he traveled route 66 he traveled the country by car with his family he's a car guy so the level of detail and authenticity that went into designing the car's film was now recreated so a lot of those places that inspire the car's film look very much like they would have looked like if you were to travel Route 66 today in some of those roadside locations. For me, when I first saw it, 
I'd heard details, not everything, because I kind of ha- held back from it. But I had this picture in my mind of what it could possibly be and how good it could be. And the moment the curtain came down and we got to see it, it went even beyond what I thought it could be. It was amazing because you're looking around, you're like, my gosh, I am, I'm there. I am stepping into this world. And it's believable. I, I will, a uh, self-deprecating bit of... We were there the night before it opened for the ceremony um, when they did drop the wall. And as we're walking by, there was a wall up, and I was able to look behind it, and I noticed a mountain range in the distance. Now, coming from Florida, where we have no mountains, I said, oh, look, there's a, you know, it's a California mountain range, not realizing that it was the mountain range of that sort of that Cadillac mountain range in Ornament Valley. It's 125 feet tall here, but through shading, through design, through forest perspective, it looks like a, a a mountain, a huge mountain range off in the distance. And I think the thing about Cars Land, this overriding theme that keeps going through my head is the details are incredible from a distance, but the closer you get, the more amazing they become. Yeah, and you really forget where you are. If you let yourself just kind of wander and explore and, and look at the detail, you completely forget that you're in a theme park. You think you're in the, the Radiator Springs. You think you're in the desert. You are looking at a mountain range. This is not um, This is not fabricated. This is real. It is beautiful. And it's huge, yes. and it's, it's very deceiving because it's 12 acres in size, but it looks and feels so much larger than that. Now, I'm from Utah, so I have Monument Valley. I have <laughs> Zion. I have Bryce. I have Moab. I've got all these places. When I was standing out there outside one of the attractions, I'm looking at this, and I am—I kid you not, I thought I was in southern Utah. And I'm like, I want to go hiking over there. I, I wanted to just crawl up into this because they've done such a great job. And the forest perspective doesn't even look like it's like that it's not to me it does not seem like it's forced perspective it looks like that is how it is supposed to be and it looks like it looks like you're watching the movie in super high def because again that that Cadillac mountain range is there in the back and those those mountain peaks and I'm using air quotes not that you can see me <laughs> represent Cadillac tail friend from the late 50s and early 60s and that's sort of that pinnacle that 1959 uh, uh, Cadillac uh, tail fin but it's 300,000 square feet of rock work. It's the largest rock work in any of the United States theme parks. And it is incredibly impressive until you start looking down and looking around the town itself, which I don't know how to... It has personality. Like, each aspect of the town has a personality that reflects the character from the film. Oh, each time you turn the corner, like if you go into the the Cozy Cone Motel, you're you're waiting for Sally to just drive around the corner and say hi. How are you doing? It's it really is so well detailed, and again, it's it just comes to life right in front of you. And as you discover and take a step towards each of these de- little destinations on the street, it really comes to life. And it tells a story. You know, yeah. it very much is not just taking a location and and putting it here. Uh, I think maybe, dare I say, almost better than anywhere else I can think of. And I know I'm very much wrapped up in this. It's very much an extension of the car story. As if the movie ended and now you're continuing on with the characters from the film. Yes. um, (laughs) No, what you're saying, continuation of the story. We had the chance to go into what is now called the um, Cars historical society and you can go in there and you can actually get a background story to help explain 
many of the details inside of there. Right, which is at the it's at the Blue Sky Cellar, which actually is outside of Carl. I think a lot of people don't even. We did, I didn't know that this existed. I did not know that this. To, well, really? did you know it told the history of cars? You knew the Blue Sky Cellar was yes. here, but did you know? I did not know that there was a whole exhibit, a museum-like exhibit, that tells the history of Carsland. Didn't know exactly what it was going to be, but I definitely wanted to see it. And it gives more details of how Radiator Springs came about. Mm-hmm. And it's told through one of uh, Mater's Tall Tales shorts called Time Traveling Mater. And it tells the story of how Radiator Springs came about and how the buildings came about. And it's really, I mean, it pulls you even more. And when we saw it, we're like, oh my gosh, now I, I, I understand this so much better. Because what you're doing is, is when you watch the Cars movie, you see Stanley. And you see the founder, Stanley, on the pedestal. And you kind of wonder how this all came about. This attraction, dare I say, does provide that backstory for you. So it pulls all the detail together. And then you really have, again, another immersive experience. And it also creates a story. It, it provides the backstory for Cars Land itself, too, because there are the Imagineering models there. There's original concept art. There's a lot of things that were used in the development. We saw some things on some of the concept art that never made it into the attractions and never made it into some of the shops. So it was interesting to see the progression of the idea from taking that the pictures from the movie and why are you laughing? Because there was one because there's one of those details that we saw and you and I are both know if that would come to fruition I would have never ridden a tire with you. I'm just saying. Because there's no way I'm spinning in circles with you because I would throw up and it would be bad. Well all right, let's get all right. So you mentioned let's get into the attractions. Okay. And I think and I'm putting attractions again in air quotes because yeah. I think the attractions okay. are not necessarily the rides themselves. Yeah. Right? So there are three new attractions here. There's Mater's Junkyard Jamboree. Luigi's Flying Tires, and of course, Radiator Springs Racers. And let's take that um, in order, because that's how you encounter them. And I think Radiator Springs Racers is really, and we'll get to our discussions of, I I have an opinion of Radiator Springs Racers that may surprise you. Okay, I'm I'm waiting for it. So, Mater's Junkyard Jamboree. (laughs) (laughs) This is the surprise hit, because it's the first one that you encounter when you walk in. And it's kind of amazing because a lot of people kind of look at it as being the kiddie ride. It's going to be a little like the scrambler that kind of slowly moves you around. But when we rode this thing, I, I giggled more riding that ride. And I want to do it again. I wanted to do it again. And I want to do it again. So it was, it was a surprise to me how much I really enjoyed it. It almost looks from a distance like it's a kid's ride. It's yeah. relatively slow moving and looks like there's some little tractors on multiple discs that spin. But... We rode many times. We were hooting. I'm not a wooer, but I was wooing. I was wooing a lot. And it's so, it, there's the kinetic element draws you in. But I think what really draws you in as you start to approach Cars Land is not what you see, it's what you hear. You hear Larry the Cable Guy, the voice of Mater. He recorded seven, maybe eight, original songs for the attraction, uh, backed by Billy Hill and the Hillbillies, going back to old school Disneyland. Um, you know, Mater sort of has this this sort of country hoedown, this dozy do thing going on. And you talk about, about an attraction that is a simple, low-tech bit of fun. This very much is it. Very much a huge surprise for me. I loved it. That thing was so much fun. And when we went in, we're just like, okay, it's got it had the shortest line at that time for us. So we got on really quickly, and we just did not, literally, we turned right back around, got back in line, went through it again, and I've got like 25 (laughs) pictures, and they are all wonderful. It's just just the smiles on both of your faces of just just the sheer glee of doing this. Yeah, it's it's the Lou hip check is what it really is with... (laughs) 
as he's singing, and by the way, he does sing to to Tomater, and 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 it's going in the background right now. He just like that. Yep. I don't and know the words, but I can have, sing it. You have that stuck in your head when you walk away. So I mean, it really is fun, and it's fun for the whole family. You can see the little kids. We watched several families and and several couples ride this ride. And again, it's very tempting just to keep walking past it. But please, this is definitely one of the the hidden gems of this of this land. And it's not like it, you'd almost think it almost like it's like a mad tea party. Yeah. You don't swing in circles. No. You you very much go in figure eights, and you're not sitting in one of these little baby tractors. You're in um, sort of a, a little uh, bucket, like a trailer behind it, right. and you swing back and forth, and you have some control over it, and to a certain <laughs> degree, you don't. One other thing, though, is like, as we're hearing the music in the background, you mentioned seven or eight different songs. The song is as long as the ride is itself. So you're not only getting, you're not getting a partial song, you're, you're experiencing the entire song as you go through it. So when the song's ending, you're... you're ride time is just ending and then you're running back around to the front to get back in line again. And we'll get to the merchandise but honestly, tell me how many people including the three of us, now I'm raising my hand, that's what you can see it. How many people said, where can I buy the soundtrack to Mater's Junkyard Jamboree and the other music we're going to get to from Cars Land? Yeah, it it definitely is something that if they had it for sale here, it would be sold out because it is infectious and even, not just the music alone, but as they do the the loading and unloading, um, Toe Mater kind of tells a couple of uh, jokes now and then too, which is kind of entertaining. So I I do have to say again, and that the little, if they had the little what are those little guys? Little cow tra- tractor track guys. I know, but they look like cows because they have ears and cute little eyes and, and they can talk to you. And, you and they're all different. Every one of yeah. them is all different, too. Notice, take a, a very close look at their expressions on their on their faces. Um, <laughs> all right. The colors of their eyes and the markings on the side. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you just want to pet the little guy. Seriously. And, and I will say, right around the corner is one of my favorite little spots. And I know we're getting off the ride, but I have to tell you, they have Tomater's Petting Zoo. And they have one of the little... little cow trailers, tractors they're ready for a picture opportunity. But I, again I really did enjoy this and I noticed in the, the Historical Society, they were talking about it being the Tocido, not the Docido, but the Tocido. So again, another little little detail that just gives it charm. Yeah, this um, Made Us Junkyard Jamboree again, I, I didn't I didn't look at any I made sure, and let me be clear before we came here, I did not look at any videos. I didn't listen to anything. I read no reviews. Yeah, we saw some of that early concept art, but I wanted to experience it for myself the first time. And so when we got on Made Us Junkyard Jamboree, I thought this was the ride geared for kids. But you watch. You stand on the side and watch how many adults are just hysterically laughing. Because <laughs> it is. It's just a, a fun, fun attraction. Much to me, like I think Luigi's Flying Tires is. It's got that Disneyland connection. It's like the old uh, Disneyland flying saucers. But here, too, there's a story behind it that Luigi's Uncle Topolino, and you've soon come Disney. to... Right, it, no, Mickey, right. <laughs> oh, Topolino Mickey. is Italian for, for Mickey Mouse. I've been quizzing Becky all week, oh, and she's failed God. miserably. I'm... But you're learning, which is good. So you hear the story about how his Uncle Topolino had this shipment of fettuccine brand... You have to talk in extra syllables when you speak okay. Italian. Fettuccine brand... Uh, Cuschino di Aria tires, these tires of air, which are just like riding on like an air hockey table, like yeah, a giant air hockey table, but you sit in these gigantic vehicles that look like oversized tires that you can fit two adults or maybe two adults and a child or two adults and a loom. 
and Luigi does the countdown. There's Italian music, <laughs> music playing in the background, but below you are 6,700 air vents that keep the tires moving, so you're able to sort of use your body weight. There's no control system, but you're able to sort of use your body weight to control it, and, and there's an extra added element. There are giant oversized, not just to me because I'm small, but huge <laughs> beach balls that you're able to grab and try and throw or try and hit other guests with. The best way that I can explain this is it's a segue on air because you really are kind of sitting there and you have to lean one direction or another direction to make it go the way you want to and then you're just distracted by the giant oversized beach balls, which of course your friend who's sitting in the tire next to you is probably trying to bounce off of your head and it really is kind of a fun little environment of, of hitting each other with beach balls and trying to slam it into to each other with tires and air. And historical perspective, the flying tire, the flying saucers in Disneyland only operated for about five years. It never really kind of worked the way they had intended, but I think they seemed to, I think they got this right. They did. The original one back in 1961 when it was there, is a very complicated mechanism of how it is actually trying to keep the uh, flying saucers up. They're also much smaller. They're only about five feet across as compared to these tires that are like seven, eight feet. I mean, they're, they're very large. But this has continuous air going from underneath up to hold the tires up. So when you're walking out to the tires, you're getting a blast of nice, cool, fresh air <laughs> from your feet all the way up to your head. And it's, oh, it was so nice on a hot day. Right, the attraction for you was just standing on the air. Uh, just, uh, it was the Marilyn Monroe. I did by Marilyn Monroe, right. right. Yeah. But you get in this, and you sit down, you strap in, and then once it starts going, you feel yourself kind of bouncing a little bit, going up. And then you start leaning, and you don't move fast. It's it's a gradual. Once you start going, though, you can start sliding across. And then you're like, there's a wall right there, and you got a beach ball, and you're like, who can I throw this at? <laughs> and the thing about this attraction was it was just plain, simple fun. Like, it was fun trying to get your saucer to move and trying to grab one of the beach balls and throw them out. Even if it just sort of moved, it looked at the this air hockey table is 8,000. It's huge, right? The idea is that you're in Luigi's uh, backyard. There's this festival going on. And so you're sort of in this Italian garden entire storage yard. So you're trying to move it around and you're trying to grab the beach balls. And adults and kids just had such fun. There's no goal. You're not trying to score points like a Buzz Light. You're not trying to do anything. But being on the attraction like Mater, it was just a lot of fun. Another thing, though, is don't think of it as, like, even bumper cars because you can have two people come at each other at a good rate, and they, when they hit each other, they, they bounce off each other very softly. So you're not going to be jarred out of a seat right. or anything else. So it's very gentle when you do collide. You know what I liked actually more than the ride, I dare say? is the queue leading to the ride because when you first walk in you're walking into Luigi's Tire Store and you're passing through shadow boxes that have memorabilia from their lives from, from Luigi and Guido which Guido's my favorite car I gotta say so it's really neat to kind of stand there and, and look through all these postcards from different places that they attended and, and from the old country you know lots of little detail through there as well it, it saddens me that Guido is your favorite character because Luigi is mine because he's a small little Italian guy named Louis. I don't know why I like him, but I agree with you, again, unfortunately, oh, about the queue. Because oh. you walk in, like when you watch the Cars films, you pull into Casa del Tires and all those giant, the white the wheel tires, that was the worst <laughs> Luigi ever, I'm so sorry, are all along the wall and you see where Luigi and Guido would do repairs, to do a little pit stop. And as you walk through, 
and there's the trophy case and the shadow boxes on the wall. You can find such great details of Cars Land, of the Cars movie. You saw some other great details of from Disney and Disneyland history. I don't want to give too much away, but... The one I found that I just I had to get a picture was you see a sub there and it's 20,000 leaks under the seal. So L E A K S S E A L. Yes. So it's it's a nod to twenty thousand leagues under the sea, but they had to pull it into the car's world itself. So I mean, it's a great little photo. I'm so glad I got it. Again, it's not just visual; it's auditory. Tony Shalhoub, you may know him from shows like Monk. He was the voice of Luigi in the film. He was brought back in. You can hear him a lot through the attraction and through the queue. And it's funny. Like it's funny to try and hear because you don't necessarily know what he's going to say next. You, you have to sort of, it has a re- certainly a rewritability factor because there's no track, there's nothing, there's no goal to, to accomplish. And as you go through, you're not sure what kind of joke he may say, what kind of songs you may hear. Um, I like the environment. I like the sort of, because when you go uh, down that cross street of Route 66, which is just called Cross Street, and go down, you feel the music changes. Yes. It's a great subtle transition point that the Imagineers created from this 1950s Route 66 Shaboom music to this music that played pretty much predominantly at my wedding <laughs> in this Italian garden. Exactly, and you do feel that difference when you walk into that environment and you hear all that Italian music, but the one thing I also do appreciate is that they made it visually in such a way that you don't have to go on the attraction to enjoy it, because there's a lot of places to stand and just watch people have fun on this attraction and enjoy the sounds and the sights and watch families you know, play together on these tires, so they really did do a good job of, of allowing the experience to be shared. Yeah, and again, both of these attractions, they have a minimum height requirement, which I just make at 32 inches, so <laughs> it is not overly restricted. You know, most of the, of the people in your family should be able to ride it, and again, because like you made a great point, Jeremy, it's not a kind of jostling, try and hit the other guy and knock him over. It's very, very soft, I and mean, if you bump into somebody, you're not even really going to feel it. Yeah, it's we, we had times where both of us were throwing a beach ball between, and it, even when we hit you might have had like a couple of inches of movement, but it was like very slight. You didn't even really notice it. Yeah, and they do have, of course, a safety belt that goes across the laps of everybody together. So even if you did need to try to reach out to get the ball, to throw it back at the person you're, you're aiming for, you're pretty much going to be pretty secure. Yeah, speaking with the balls themselves, they, the only way you can really get to those things, though, is you have to <laughs> crash into them and hope that they pop up and land with you. Because you also have all the air vents are all turned on on this attraction. That was the difference between Flying Saucers and this. Flying Saucers, it was only the ones underneath you were turned on. This one, they're all turned on. So if you're throwing a beach ball to somebody, there's a possibility that an air vent might catch it just right and like send it 90 degrees the opposite direction. So let's get, let's move it farther down Route 66. Uh, let's get to um, Ornament Valley and Willie's Butte. Uh, this mountain range at the end uh, behind the statue of Stanley where the entrance to Radiator Springs Racers is. And this is the attraction that I think for a lot of people they're going to think about when they think of Cars Land. And rightly so. Because this is it's not an E-ticket attraction it is an E plus. It's an F. It is an F-ticket attraction. <laughs> because, <laughs> because it's, it's really, really good. Um, no, beyond really, really good. This is the one and I'll preface this by saying that um, when I came off the attraction, the first of, of five times that I've ridden in the last couple of days, again, we've been fortunate to be here before the grand opening, 
and the five plus hour waits on opening day, um, that when I said you may be surprised at what I say about this attraction, we'll get into the story, we'll explain what it is, but dare I say, it is the perfect Disney attraction. <gasps> Did that just really come out of your mouth? And the reason why <laughs> is this, I'm serious. Okay. The reason why, and look, I, I unapologetically admit, look, I love Disney, right? I love coming to the parks, I, I love where it is. Is is every attraction an e-ticket? No. Right. Am I totally wrapped up because we're here right now? Absolutely. But why I think this may be the perfect attraction is because it's akin to a splash mountain for me. Where there are so many different elements, there are so many different layers of story, there's so many different types of attractions in a single ride. It has all the elements, right? It's got it's visually stunning. It tells a great story. It's fun, it's interactive, it's got some cool high-tech stuff that we've never seen before anywhere. Yeah. The music is incredible. There's a reveal. It's one of those reveals. It's that apex of Spaceship Earth kind of old Jeremy Irons, Walter Cronkite, Spaceship Earth kind of (laughs) reveals that is literally, it's breathtaking. Because the story is that you start off taking this, again, like the original Cars movie, you're taking this very slow, meandering tour down through Radiator Springs and the countryside. You're traveling along Route 66. And as you go through... A tunnel again. I don't want to spoil too much, but you get a reveal uh, of Willie's Butte and and Radiator Falls, which the music matches what you're seeing. And I just saw it and I look, we all smiled the whole time in this, but that for me was a wow. Like, God, you guys just did this so right. That's what I was going to say. They nailed it. They really nailed it because it's reminiscent of when Sally takes um, Lightning McQueen for his first ride up into the mountains. And that's kind of where you're starting. And you are in those cars when that occurs. And it really is stunning. Uh, Like you said, they got this right. And this has a... This is my old school Walt Disney World analogy. It's got a little Mr. Toad built in. You're looking at me funny because you have no idea what I'm talking about. Because you all enter from a single queue, and again, very well-themed queue. And when you go into the Blue Sky Cellar, you'll understand why those buildings out there are there and what they represent. So you need to make that whole connection. But as you leave this this scenic tour of uh, Ornament Valley, and again, it's, it's spectacular. You need to sort of go ride over and over again just to kind of look around. But then you go inside, right? You go inside... And you're split into one of two possible tracks. And we didn't realize this the first few times we rode because we had the same experience. You could have a stop at either Luigi's Casa Della Tires or Ramon's House of Body Art. And you stop briefly and there's a great little interaction with those characters where something happens to your vehicle akin to what I think probably Test Track is going to get in Walt Disney World. And the Mr. Toad thing was single queue, possibly two separate experiences. Okay. okay, now now I'm like trying to figure that out. It's like, yes, it is a vehicle being pulled, yes. But it's the the interaction they have there, just going through the attractions, it's literally I you're there, you're in the movie because they are talking to you, they are interacting with you. And the the option of having one or the other. Now myself, I only experienced one side of the two choices. So I have not seen the second one and it literally makes me want to go back and get in line when it's less than five plus hours. Um, <laughs> even though many people are finding it well worth it, and it is an amazing attraction. But I want to see that second half. It, it's, it's a reason why you want to get back in. 
Oh. And you made a great point, real briefly, about the um, the physical representations of the characters because we, when we're watching the movie, remember one thing that's not in the Cars movies are any human beings. So you have no sense of scale of how big those cars are until you get into the attraction and encounter them. And when you think about sort of a Mr. Potato Head, that next generation of audio animatronic, what you see in Mater and the Sheriff is not simply a projection, the articulation of their bumper slash mouths is amazing. You feel, again, that sense of personality, all those original character voices are coming through. And that first time that you see the sheriff and he kind of pulls you over and because he's not got a lot going on in Radiator Springs, <laughs> you hear the audible gasp in the car. You're like, oh, God. Yeah, I definitely. I just sat there because we saw an example of what was possible to, several years ago at the first D23 Expo mm-hmm. of um, Lightning McQueen. And then you're like, okay, we, I have an idea of what it's going to be like. And then you step in there and you just see them looking at you and you see the bumpers moving and everything else. And literally, there is a gasp of, oh my, this is so awesome. <laughs> and you see, and they're very much placed in scenes that you would see in the first section of the movie. Again, I'm not spoiling it for you, but some of those iconic moments are recreated as if you were plucked and just put right into the film. It's definitely something special. I Because I don't want to give anything away, so I'm very af- afraid of what I say here, but it really is... It's, it's it's jaw-dropping. I wasn't prepared for what we encountered. It was immersive. Again, I keep saying that word, but that's the only thing I can even come close to saying. But I, I do want to go back really quickly on that, on that choice, that option, because I didn't read a lot about this. I wanted to be surprised and, and really enlightened by seeing it from firsthand instead of reading about it. And I had no idea that there was even a second track. Mm-hmm. I, I wrote it eight times over the, the course of the couple of days of previews and only saw one of the tracks. And uh, we asked later to say, is there a way that you can ask for the other option once we discovered that it was there? And unfortunately, there's not. But you're going to have to keep writing it to make sure that you see it. And once again, every time you go through, you see something new every time. So this is not an attraction that's going to get old fast at all. And there is another unknown to this attraction because, again, and what I love about this, beyond the visual things that are stunning, is there is a story. There's a clear continuity of story that's told from the second you walk into Cars Land, it continues down through the queue into the vehicle until you start with this leisurely tour, and then you find out why you need to go visit either Luigi or Ramon. Mm-hmm. And you have an interaction with another character. And then the added element, the second attraction or third attraction to this attraction, to this ride, is the race. Yeah. Right? You line up against another car, and you literally have a race on parallel tracks, your nose-to-nose, going through this landscape at a much different speed, a much faster speed, um, and you never know who's going to win. It is truly random. And your, your, uh, the audio cues that you'll get in your car will change depending on whether you win or lose. Yep, you win or lose. You don't know what's going to happen. The first time, first three times I was on it, we did not win. And it's always, I mean, it's not like you beat them out by car lengths. I mean, you're talking like a foot or less. And so one time we won, and Becky's like, oh, man, we lost again. I go, no, no, he said we won. We got this one. Yes, we got it. But then, like, the end of the race isn't the end of the story, right? So Disney, in something, again, visually stunning, I don't want to give too much away, but they create taillight caverns. And you want to talk about that 
the story coming full circle and having a, a beginning, uh, an, an apex, and then a conclusion, and the way it ends, and what you see and what you do, and Taillight Caverns looks as though it came right out of the film. You could imagine it coming right out of the film. You cut afterwards. Obviously, there's a, a photo pass opportunity because there's an on-ride photo that's taken, <laughs> and you're, you know. Becky was holding her hair down, but most women's hair is blowing everybody. Every picture is exactly the same because every every adult and kid is smiling ear to ear. You're talking about um, the caverns, and it's very much a nod to Rainbow Caverns from the mine train through Nature's Wonderland. It was Walt's favorite attraction in Disneyland. It was his absolute favorite. And so to see that, I mean, when we came around the corner, I didn't know about that either. I did not look. I did not watch anything. And I just had another grin on my face going, another wonderful, wonderful nod to the historical aspect. And Disney obviously worked incredibly closely with Pixar. Again, from the top, this comes from the top down, John Lasseter, very personal for him. But they worked with Pixar for the integrity of the story and the continuity of the characters. They want to make sure those characters, the representation, the personality of those characters comes through in in a storytelling way that we're not used to seeing, right? Because normally when we watch things, we're, again, we're seeing it from a third-person perspective, but now we are very much brought into it. It didn't work with Snow White's Scary Adventures when they first opened it, but it very much works here. Yeah, I was even thinking about how the, a lot of people were, were making the, the tie between this and Test Track because, of course, they do kind of operate the same. However, when on Test Track, when you just get on the track and you go around and you go fast and you go around the corner, it's over. This has wonderful Camelback Hills that you go over because, of course, that's going to fit into the story and the theming of the mountains themselves. And at one point, the last one, you actually get airtime, which I loved that as well. So, And for me, one of the things that struck me most and is sticking with me after, uh, after having ridden it four or five times was not necessarily what I saw or the story or the animatronics or any of the things that we talked about, but it was the music. Right? It was composed by Jonathan Sachs. He did the attraction score. He did also the uh, score for the film itself. And the music, for me, was such an integral part of the storytelling. The music you heard as you're leisurely traveling down Route 66 was that sort of convertible, top-down, driving leisurely through. And it changes, right? It changes as you go through the attraction and follows very much the sense of story. And I don't want to give too much away, but when you get that majestic reveal it very much has that that type of feel to it and when you go into the next phase of story it begins to ramp up and speed up and then helps to culminate and tie the story up at the very end this is one of the things that if they release this attraction score on the cd along with tomaters um it would be incredibly incredibly popular the timing that they have with the music and the attraction it fits perfectly with exactly what's going on the moment you're coming down for the next reveal the music is changing to what it needs to be. And it's not like a sudden major change that you're like, okay, it's dramatic. It, it segues so well that it just flows perfectly into the next spot. Yeah, and even, you know, there. Are, and again, I don't want to give it away because I want people to come out here and see this. I don't want you to watch it on video, right? I don't want you to see it that way. I want you to experience it firsthand because even, even your car itself, right? You may not realize, I don't know if you know, that each of the cars themselves has a different personality. Not every car is a red Light McQueen. There are male and female cars, right? The gender of the car is very much dictated by how it's painted, by the colors, help dictate the gender of the car themselves too. 
I had no idea. <laughs> well, I saw the different co- color cars, so I remember you looked down one side and you said, we get the Hulk car, because, of course, it was green. <laughs> and there's there's and you said WDW Radio Blue at one point, and I was going, yeah, MEI Red. And it, it was kind of fun to, to just kind of wonder which car you're going to get next. So I, I guess we have to go and ride it again so I can look at the personality. Watch as you're right. There's eight cars. There's eight different color cars. There's eight different uh, faces painted on them. And so each of the cars, well, obviously the, the physical vehicle is the same, has its own kind of little personality as well, too. Yep. Each one, you you step in, you kind of grab a hold of what you might think the personality is going to be when you step in and wonder what's going to exactly happen for you. You also have three seats in the front, three seats in the back, and there's not a bad seat inside this vehicle at all. I've sat, I've sat in the front, and I've sat in the back, and it is just a lot of fun in either spot. And the more times we rode, the more we were able to, to catch, and the more we were able to see visually... Not just in story, not just in the broad stroke of, of the brush in, in the details of the, the valley and the buildings that you go in, but some of the little details, stickers on the windows and things that are written here and there that tie back to the film, that tie back to Walt, that tie back to some of those early Disneyland attractions too. You're smiling. I'm smiling because the first time I wrote it, you're, you're flabbergasted. You're just like trying to get what you can out of it. The second or third time, I pointed something out to Becky. She goes, oh, you didn't notice that before. And I'm like, oh, it was, it's an amazing little thing. And I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'll give you a hint. No, I'm not. <laughs> just really watch everything. Not just what's going on to your sides, but look up, look around. Because they have. it is so detailed. And one of the things that I love about the detailing is, even with the queue, it is life scale. As you're walking through the queues, you are inside these buildings that a vehicle would normally be pulling into. So it is a full-size item. Inside the attraction, like Lou, you pointed out, the animatronics, the, the cars you're looking at, they are the size that they would be in real life. And they talk to you. So that's, I think that's the hard part, is that they are, they're talking to you. And so you, you're engaging in this conversation. You forget that they're animatronics. You think that they're the characters come to life from the, the movie. So you really have to consciously stop and look away from the eye contact you're having with the car to look at all the background detail. And every single time I wrote it, I saw something new. Behind you, to the side of you, look up, look down, look all around because there is something of a little bit of a, um, an Easter egg here or there that you can find as well. And I think the thing about this attraction and this entire land which, it, which, that I, I like and I was almost surprised about, which is you don't need to be a Cars movie fan, although you may become one by the time you're done, yeah. and you don't need to be an automobile fan. Just like the movie, you don't need to be a, a car enthusiast. And this attraction, right, they're, they're, they're dancing. You can't see, but they're dancing to the sounds of Tomato in the background. But this attraction, and, and look... I have favorite attractions. You know, Haunted Mansion is that quintessential classic attraction, Pirates of the Caribbean, Peter Pan, wherever it may be. And I use the word, and I thought a lot before I said the word, quote-unquote, perfect attraction. Because it has all the requisite elements that you need. It has those Haunted Mansion elements of great story, great background, incredible music, immersive, you know, first-person type experience. Now, that being said people who have heard about what's coming to Carson say, oh, well, they, they should build this. They should bring this over to Walt Disney World. They throw it in the back of the studios. I will tell you that I hope that it doesn't. I hope that cars, I hope that Radiator Springs Racers and Cars Land does not come to Walt Disney World. 
I know you're looking at me quizzically. Has the man lost it? Get this man a cozy cone. We'll get to that too. I haven't lost my mind, but the reason why is because, and I know I'm sort of putting the cart before the horse, but this attraction, this land, helps make Disneyland a destination. It gives you a reason to come out to Disneyland. This ride in and of itself is that good that you need to say, hey, we need to consider maybe going out to Disneyland. Something we wouldn't have done before because I think, Becky, and you know, from a travel agent perspective, a lot of people say, well, Disneyland, you know, I've been to Walt Disney World. It's a smaller Magic Kingdom. DCA, eh. I I don't think that's the case. And I want this to be here. I want to come out here specifically to enjoy this. So I mentioned Cozy Cone, right? Because Uh Because there's a lot more to Cars Land than simply the things that you ride, right? right? You've got this this experience that's going on all around you, again, in the music, uh, very much immersing you into the fun of this land, but that extends beyond the attractions and onto the street. It extends into the shops, right? Each of the shops, so imagine as you're watching cars, as you're going down uh, Route 66 and you see all the different stores, you see Sarge's Surplus Hut and you see... Um, uh, you know, the Luigi's Casa Della Tires and Ramon's Paint Shop. Each of those stores are well-themed, but one of the things that we really liked, shocker of all shockers, <laughs> was the food. So you would certainly expect Flo's V8 Cafe to have uh, some great food items in, the, in there, too. We didn't. Achieve, we had breakfast in there. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things we liked was a great variety of items, very, very well-themed. You didn't even catch that you were sitting sort of in a 50s-style bucket seat and there's a giant rear view mirror hanging above you but it's counter service and this is one of the things Jeremy you know is sort of unique to Disneyland counter service restaurants where you eat on real you know real plates and with real silverware yep we um, here they are doing what they can to make it very good we the food though was incredible flows we had like Lou said we had breakfast we tried different items there the tamales were Incredible! The French toast oh. was French toast tonga bits. Toast, kind of. It was tonga to- like tonga toast, caramel um, sauce over it, bananas cut up to the side. Just taking little. Pe- oh my gosh! I'm salivating right now. <laughs> I was going to say the, the the caramel sauce alone, and this is a breakfast item, mind you. So it's like get sugared up because you're going to need all the energy you can. But one of the details, maybe I didn't notice the big, huge, giant rearview mirror that was staring at me in the face. But the um, the utensils were like uh, service station gadgets, um, tools. So they were yeah, they were kind of shaped in in the in the shape of wrenches and different things. So they did a great job again. With with the down to the finite detail. And I really enjoy out it, it flows where you have um, all the gas station pumps are out there and, and your tables are kind of nestled in between the different pumps and you can eat inside and outside and there's just a variety of, of, uh, of food items and a variety of ways to experience it. And you learn, if you pay attention, you learn about flow. You learn about the character of flow. You see that this is very much, it, it is flows because you see a lot of quote-unquote personal memorabilia that is unique to her. You find out about her career as a singer with the Motorama Girls. There's little jukeboxes uh, throughout the the restaurant as well, too. And all those things help to complete the story. So now all of a sudden you're like, oh, I understand why Flo is here. I understand why Flo opened up this restaurant, which is open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, And look, as somebody who did take a lot of those... uh, driving trips with my parents across country as a kid. We once took 
a multi-week trip. We it was like the it was like vacation. All we were the Griswolds basically, <laughs> going across country. But the menu items like pork loin and turkey and New York strip and and uh, comfort style foods, uh, sort of like an American version of, of like a shepherd's pie, was very much evocative of those roadside restaurants that you had to pull over uh, and stop at. You know, you just pull, you, you picked an exit, as you probably would have, on Route 66, and found a random restaurant, because this is way before the days of Yelp and around me. You took the trip tick and, and sort of, uh, it was kind of potluck. But that is the kind of place you would have, and you get it from the decor, and you get it from the the menu items as well, too. Like, it, it's appropriate what you're eating for where you're eating. Right. And I, I got to say, when I was looking at it first, or when I was thinking what we would encounter there, it was going to be hamburgers and chicken fingers and all the typical things you get in a, in a theme park. But no, this really is the, um, the the comfort food menu that you find from that time. The other thing I like about Flo's Via Cafe, you, we touched lightly on, there's indoor and outdoor seating. Depending on where you sit in the restaurant, you have views of either Route 66, you have views of Ramon's right next door, or if you sit in sort of the, the showroom dining area, it overlooks Racer Spring, Radiator Springs Racers. So you get a great view of the attraction and the cars whizzing by. But I will tell you that my favorite place <laughs> is <laughs> Here we go. over at the Cozy Cone Motel. And look, we have on the East Coast, we have Art of Animation with its Cozy Cone Motel, literally a place to spend the night and rest your head. Well, here the Cozy Cone Motel is a quick-service dining locations, open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, um, also inspired by places, sort of these, these wigwam-style hotels along Route 66, these sort of teepee-style hotels I remember it staying in as a kid. <laughs> but if you saw cars, you know that, that uh, Sally's Cozy Cone Motel, literally you slept in a cozy cone. Well, here, each of the cones represents a different food item and style as well as a different beverage as well too so cone number one has churro bites with a cinnamon chocolate sauce cinnamon spiced hot chocolate and Ramon's pear P-E-A-R pear of dice get it it's sort of a it's a dessert it's sort of a like a mojito syrup and, and pear sauce uh, pear flavoring and Sprite cone number two has soft serve ice cream and root beer floats but root is R-O-U-T-E to get the cards <laughs> oh, that she's yeah. laughing <laughs> Cone number three, better known as Lou's favorite cone, <laughs> offers um, two items in edible bread cones. I need to talk slowly. Edible bread cones. So in, for breakfast, they have a bacon scrambled egg cone for breakfast. We had multiple times for lunch and dinner, chicken verde and a chili cone queso Yum. for lunch and dinner. Which And we need, we need to really spend a lot of time, a whole separate show on this, because... Everything tastes better in a cone, as we know. But here, you have a, uh, a bread cone, which is sort of stacked in layers. And Jeremy and I both loved the chili con queso because it had cheese and Fritos on top. Again, a nod to the old Frito-Lay from Disneyland. And a great hearty chili. And then as you're scooping it out and spooning it out, you're also able to rip off layers of the bread cone and dip it in there and eat that as well, too. Oh, my God. We need to go to Cozy Cone before I get on my I'm plane. I'm so hungry right now. Oh, my gosh. I'm <laughs> drooling again. The, the the cones, at first I didn't realize that they were bread cones until they're in your hand. You're like, 
these are soft and squishy. Until I start eating it right out yeah. of your hand. So you're sitting there going, okay, let's try this. And we grabbed a couple of, we grabbed one of each or two of one and one of the other. And we're like, okay, let's try this one and let's try this one. The chili is very, very good. The chicken queso, or chicken, yeah, chicken queso is also incredibly tasty. It's, they both have a little bit of a heat to it. They have a bit of a bite. The chili obviously is thicker. The chicken is not as, I mean, it's almost a soup inside this thing. So you're like trying to get through it before it soaks through. But, oh my gosh, it's worth going through. Yeah. And I'm not one for spice. So if somebody's kind of afraid of that because of the spiciness, go for the chili. Because it does have a slight hint of, of heat to it, but it's not overwhelming. And I loved it. So I, I think like you were saying, that you kind of rip it off and then dip it in. No. The bread is soaked in the chili from <laughs> as you've been eating that the entire time. And then you got the crunchiness from the Fritos. And so you rip that off and you, then you, you just got chili-soaked bread and we got to go back right now because I'm hungry. Yeah, <laughs> It's the perfect food. I there know. you go. <laughs> um, they also have specialty drinks from Fillmore's Fuel and Groovy Aid. So there's an all-natural lemonade, which, Jeremy, you had. It had a little sort of a, a foam, like a wild berry foam on it. They also had a pomegranate limeade with a lemon-lime foam. So that, that sweetness of the wild berry sort of cut the tartness of the lemonade. I got that lemonade several times. It was so, <laughs> so tasty. And it's also, it quenches your thirst, just like lemonade should. But the foam on top, if you mix it in with it, it was not a tart. It was a sweet flavor. You got to try it. Becky tried it. It, I, I loved it. I'd go back and get that along with another chili kind yeah, of case. Yeah, guess, guess where we're going? We're done with this. And next door in Cone 4, because, again, everything tastes better in cones, talking about food that's shareable, they have pretzel bites Yum. with cheesy sauce. Uh, they also have Red's, like Red the Fire Truck, Red's Apple Freeze, which is a fat-free frozen drink. It has apple juice, toasted marshmallow flavoring, and that's what I wasn't able to identify, and sort of this... Um, passion mango foam and what I liked about this was again you had the um, you had the, the the saltiness of the the round the pretzel bites are sort of round ball like golf ball sized balls you probably get 15 or so in there and you get the savoriness of the cheese and then you cut it with the sweetness of the apple juice and you can get both of those for 10 bucks which so I think that's a great value too Yum. <laughs> the, the, I, I'm a pretzel person. So, again, that bread thing. It was so wonderful just to have it easily in a cone, and you just dip it in the cheese sauce, and you're good to go. That is one of the best values and really is just a – if you need a quick snack, that's a great option. Another thing I actually was impressed with, there's enough cheese sauce for all of them. You, you, it's not like you're like, i got to be sparing with this and just a little bit on the – literally just like, dunk. Okay, great. And the thing about the, the some of the cozy cones – like cone number five is there's a repeatability factor. And see, again, you're looking at me funny. And do you want to know why? Because I'll bet you didn't know that the popcorn served in cone number five comes in two different flavors that change daily. What? They change daily. So we had that. we had dill pickle and nacho cheese one day. They also have sweet and spicy, bacon and, oh my God, bacon and cheddar. Oh, and salt and vinegar. Salt and vinegar. We have to go check the, the bacon and cheddar. And they also have Doc's Wild Grape Tonic, which is uh, like Sprite with um, with like grape flavorings and sort of a, right a berry foam. The bacon and cheddar. Um, oh my God. So, again, Wait. each of these items is it, what? You're forgetting the most important thing you can get. No, I talked about the, the chili. Tone. No! The churros? No. No, I, we're getting there. Oh, jeez. 
I just can't wait to get there. Would you? All right, go. Well, because they said everything tastes better uh, when it's served in a cone, uh-huh, or isn't, or is an edible cone. But drinks taste yes. better when they're served in a cone because you can get is it a sixteen or a twenty-four ounce? Sixteen and Sixteen and thirty-two ounce cones. So think of sort of the um, the orange cones on the side of the road. Well, here they have the Carsland logo on it, a giant straw, and you can get it filled with sodas, water, iced tea, whatever it may be. It's a really neat fun collectible too. Guess what my kids are getting? Oh my gosh, that is the one thing when we walked in, people had already been to part of the preview over at uh, at Cars Land and I saw these people walking through holding these cones and drinking them as they immediately you had to say I have to have one of those. I I have to. I have to drink something out of one of those cones. And so yeah, I And look, I want to spend more time just regaling about the joys of the cozy cone. But, there's more. but what I loved about cozy cone was again watch the movie and sort of go slow as you as you see Sally by the cozy cone because out front she has the little fountain the little yep. cone fountain everything is cone themed from the railings to the plants to the flowers and her, Sally's office is in there too it's not some place you can go in it's not anything you can touch or shop through but it's so well themed and you can sort of look in and peer in as you're sitting outside under these cone shaped sort of picnic tables and you can gather some of the story because there's a story behind the cozy cone, right? It, it's the motel becomes the snack conanza when all these people are coming to Radiator Springs to watch the big races right down the street at Radiator Springs Racers. So it all sort of ties in together. We do now have to go back because I was always focused on getting you more of the chili cone stuff while you're taking in the detail. Well, I... Start focusing, sister, because guess where we're going next? Wow. Uh, another quick place is Fillmore's Taste Inn. It's organic fuel, man. And they've got... That's the, right? Was that right? They have... Um, and this is good because, again, it's all about healthy options, although in my mind, chili is healthy. Um, there are fresh fruits. There's cut fruits, um, bottled water, juices. And, you know, because, look, Fillmore, the kind of resident hippie, is offering a lot of healthy snacks, too. It's right by the stroller parking area, too. So uh, for kids, it's right there. And uh, there's a lot of great healthy options as well. Nice not, little, not that we partook in any of them. <laughs> nice little area. It's, it's right near the front, right on the right-hand side. Grab, if you want, grab a healthy snack there as you're wandering through Radiator Springs. Yeah, apparently there's some healthy stuff there. <laughs> in my mind, I'm somehow able to rationalize that for pretzel reason, bites are, are healthy. I was say, for some reason, you didn't lead us over there, so we really don't have a great idea of, of what all the variety, but no. And especially, again, at night, that's another one of those locations that lights up beautifully. So I know that we need to get to that as well. And I know we're talking about food and, and the atmosphere and the music and all that wonderful stuff, but the thing that I really want to emphasize besides the thing that, you know, the National Park nod, which I'll have to get to in a minute, is the fact that this land changes from day to night, and it really is two separate experiences. At daytime, separate than it is at nighttime, because at night it is it comes alive in neon. Yeah, there's 16 neon signs. Look, if you've seen cars, and if you haven't, go back and watch it again. And when they light, the, when, when Flo and they, and they light up those neon signs... The town comes to life, and we had, uh, such, as you're walking down uh, by, you know, Bugs Land and towards Paradise Pier, and you look down Route 66, you talk about an amazing photo opportunity because the street has a whole different feel to it. 
And it's not just the neon signs, because when you look down, sure, you, you, Flows is lit up, the, the Cozy Cone Motel is lit up, but behind all of it, sets the stage is the lighting of all the mountains in the back just like a sun setting across the landscape of the mountains it is gorgeous you want to stand there and you just want to soak it all in because the nighttime experience again is such a different visual than the daytime experience and it's something you got to do if you come in the daytime you got to come back at night and you can't stress that enough about how different uh, it is at night certainly Radiator Springs, just walking down the street, the, the ambiance changes very much. And, and something else we should mention too is there is entertainment going on all around you. Not just the music you hear from Maters or the visuals as you're walking through, but there's a, uh, a DJ's dance and drive, there's a, a dance party that takes place at night. Sort of that, think about the, uh, the race cars as Mac is falling asleep in the first movie with the, with the jukebox behind him. Well, DJ, sort of the ultimate party car, is sort of a giant boom box, a mobile boom box that drives down Route 66. And of course, if across from the garden where Luigi's Flying Tires is, is Red. And Red the fire truck has a Red to the rescue because he helps guests kind of cool off. He sort of helps to water the flowers over by the garden. He also helps uh, clean up the town and keep guests over there wet as well too. So it's a nice way to cool off. It's, it's uh, off to the side. By, by Luigi. Right, and then other little details, again, the flowers at night, they are made of, of taillights, and it, it just really, in the daytime, you can see them, they're, they're nice, you see the detail, but at night, it really pops with color and, and life. And they're really sort of, it's neat, because there are three, everything that you see is a, a three-dimensional representation of things that we're used to seeing in two dimensions. We even see that, and Disney did a great job, I think, of creating spaces that we didn't see in the movies, right? You didn't see the interior of Flo's, you didn't see the interior of, Lu uh, well, you did see the interior of Luigi's, but you didn't see the interior of Sarge's Surplus Hut, which is uh, one of the merchandise locations here. Um, the other one is uh, located down by Luigi's Flying Tires. Ramon's is also a merchandise. Each has unique items as well, too. So Ramon's is the low and slow, man. That's where you get some of that cool, classic cars kind of stuff. A lot of great, um, uh, clothing locations there, but Sarge's Surplus Hut has a lot of kids' clothes and hats and toys fe featuring, uh, and Jeremy and I were digging some of the little place that <laughs> they had there, which are, we were like, how, how can we actually get these home on a plane? And it's neat how they extended the story with spaces that we didn't see that are so believable for us because, like I said earlier, it's an extension of that story. Just remember, just like any place at a Disney park, and you go at Seven News Store, always look up. Look around the edges, because in Sarge's, there's a lot of shipping crates, a lot of other information like that, but it's so well-themed. You are going into his place, and they have, yes, you said, the little play sets, and Mater's junk, Junkyard is, like, to me right now, the number one to get and try to get home somehow. You know, we can, and, and I know this is, is gone long because there is a lot to try and cover in a single segment, you know, from Buena Vista Street to Cars Land to the individual attractions to all the dining and the shopping. But I, I want to sort of just talk briefly to kind of bring things full circle about, and, and Becky, I'm interested in your perspective from a, a travel agent point of view and Jeremy, yours from a, a coming to Disneyland for so many years. What does this mean? What are these changes? What are these enhancements that really are kind of five years in the making? What do they mean for you from a variety of perspectives as to what it means sort of for Disneyland. 
Well, for our, from a travel agent's perspective or travelers or vacationers perspective, <clears throat> excuse me, this it really does help this destination to become a multi-day destination. And it, it no longer is a come in, spend one night, spend one day in Disneyland, spend one day in California Adventure and go home. You really do need multiple days now to really enjoy the location, to really feel the lands, to really immerse yourself in the detail, to stop and go slowly and check out the detail. So at this point, this is a, at least a three-night stay, if not a four-night stay, to really see and do everything. And of course, we've been really focused on the relaunch of California Adventure. However, of course, there's been a lot that's going over Disneyland as well, um, improvements and upgrades. So you have the, the resorts that are now all um, cha changing up, like the Disneyland Hotel has now opened up its monorail pool, and uh, Paradise Pier is going through some renovation. And of course, we've got um, uh, the Grand Californian, which of course is such a beautiful hotel in itself, and you have that wonderful little easy entry right into California Adventure from the resort. So this is a vacation destination that's going to be at least three nights, going to four, going to five if you have it. And if you're on the East Coast and you're planning to come over, there's also other area destinations. Come here for a week. It really is not that long of time to explore the two areas here and then to explore some of the other things that Southern California has to offer. For me, coming here, no, most times I'll tell people I'm going to Disneyland and I'll spend some time in DCA, Disney California Adventure. Now, honestly, after what they've done with uh, Buena Vista Street and also with Cars Land and the Segway in between all the different areas, it literally is now almost saying, I'm going to go out to Disney California Adventure and I'm also going to spend some time in Disneyland. Because what they have done in this park with all the new additions and the changes it is a completely different experience than it was five years ago. And it is, this is what people want and it is, and they've, they've made it happen. I think you made a great point about what people want. You know, Disney, DCA had uh, a stigma attached to it um, about what it was and what it wasn't. And Disney listened, you know, Disney clearly listened to their guests and the, you know, brilliant minds over at Imagineering too, and I credit people like Tom Staggs and, and Bob Iger for making the choices they made to bring these two very different types of experiences to the parks. Buena Vista Street is so much of a, a, a celebrating the legacy and, and in the inspiring times of Walt Disney. You're able to see structures that were once here that you, can, you can't see anymore. You can't go to, down through Hollywood or Los Angeles and find many of these buildings that inspire these facades anymore. And it's very much a, a transformative experience, taking them to another time and place in that same traditional Disney storytelling type of way. Uh, it's a very multi-layer type of experience. Um, it obviously is something very different than what Cars Land is, where you are now part of this new legacy of storytelling, this new sort of immersive experience in, uh, in a way that's done, I, I can't sort of analogize it to any other land in any of the parks the same way because of the type of experiences, because of the depth of the experience, because of the simple technology to some of the more advanced technology that's used here too. Right, another thing too that, that kind of is standing out now with the, the addition of, of Cars Land in general is, 
California Adventure was somewhat looked at as more of a teenager and up park, but of course because the the tie-in with Cars Land and the love that the kids and families have for the, the Cars uh, movies, this really does kind of open it up to the families as well. So we, we did have a little bit of people who were giving us the feedback that they'd go to Disneyland, but it really wasn't Kids Park over here, but a lot of the changes and additions that they've made. And of course, to the legacy, as you're speaking of, of, um, of a nod to Disney and its history, this is where Walt walked. Obviously not over here, over in Disneyland, but of course, to bring that history into the California Adventure area, I think that this Destination has something for everybody now. But Buena Vista Street is where Walt walked. You right. look at those red car trolleys, you can imagine Walt stepping off and riding through and, you know, with that very sort of wide-eyed optimism that he probably came in here with and $40 in his pocket, making a name for himself and making a career for, for himself. And I think what Buena Vista Street does and Carsland do very well, but in different ways, is take you to another place, right? They take you to another place, they take you to another time. And I think that's what makes these lands so exceptional. It does. They've now taken it from in a park where it was pretty much late 50s, 60s, 70s with the music and styling of California, and now brought it back to, and pulled Walt into this park. Very happily, he came into this because now you have the attachment. You have the feeling of this is now what he was able to see places that he could walk into and you get the chance to do that also. I always talk about Walt Disney World specifically and like the Magic Kingdom as layers of the onion. And on its most basic level, it's a place for families and kids to come and be part of the story and see classic characters or see films like, like Cars represented and enjoy, you know, walking into the Cozy Cone Motel and riding, you know, on Tomater's Junkyard Jamboree or being part of Luigi's Flying Tires. But they also have a, a deeper experience for however deep you want to pull back those layers of the onion. So Jeremy and I walking through Elias and Company and looking at the Rocketeer or looking back at the history of Walt Disney or seeing um, items that were used in Disney films, those cells that hung in Walt Disney's home from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs at the Carthay Circle, that resonates with us. And I, I know I'm throwing around terms like, you know, perfect attractions and so, but I think this, these places also connect with us on an emotional level, right? We have that nostalgic sense of Walt and what he obviously meant. We walked into Carsland. We were just, we were giddy. When I say it was just fun, <laughs> it was on its most basic level, such a fun experience. But as you peel back, you're getting elements of Disney history, of Cars history, the, the Blue Sky Cellar giving you the, the deeper levels of story. And I think that's how and why they hit this one so far out of the park. Definitely. You can take as much or as little as you want from it. If you want to dig in as deep as possible into history of that time, you're going to find it in these locations, inside the stores, inside the restaurants. You're, you, there is depth to what is here now, and it is so great to see. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm just looking around and listening to you guys and just taking it in because I'm watching people walk through and I'm watching the faces of people walking out of Carsland, and, and it really is, again, I'm... The, the, you're right. This is probably one of the most perfect things that Disney's done. Years ago, I did a show uh, after my first visit really as, as an adult, um, although I'm not really an adult yet, to Disneyland. <laughs> and the show was why every Walt Disney World fan needs to, uh, needs to visit Disneyland. 
And I feel, I felt that way before because I think the parks are too, it's not a comparison one versus the other. They are two completely separate experiences. I feel more passionately about that statement that every Disney fan, not necessarily Disney World fan, needs to come here and experience this. And that's why I said I hope they don't bring it to Walt Disney World. I want to keep these two experiences completely separate because of what they represent. And now, Disneyland isn't one of those places that I say, yeah, every couple of years I may go. I said to you how many times, I need to bring my family here. I cannot wait to come back this summer for Destination D, not just for that event, but because I can't wait to spend a couple of days exploring this park again for having fun on Mater's Junkyard Jamboree and, of course, eating at the Cozy Cone Motel and the Carthay Circle Theater. And, oh, my gosh, the Cozy Cone and the the Girardelli, which, you guys, this has been torture because I've been staring at Girardelli this entire taping and smelling the um, the sourdough bread as it's coming, woofing over here. I, I'm hungry, and I want to come back, and I think we need to bring a, a whole group full of listeners with us. And I will just, as the Pixar Play Parade is getting ready to start, I, I want to say this, and certainly none of us were alive, none of us knew Walt Disney and you can never say, well, what would Walt think about this? What would Walt think? All I kept on thinking was, and I said this to an Imagineer that I had met, I said, you know what? I think Walt would be proud. I think Walt would be proud of what he did because it is continuing in his legacy of not things ending, but things always changing. I think this represents a new beginning for Disneyland and Disney, Car uh, Disney California Adventure Park you do keep moving forward. You do keep opening those new doors and doing new things to these new kinds of experiences. And that's exactly what, what Buena Vista Street and Carsland represents. Right. And the one thing I think I'm looking forward most of all is if I do have to depart this park and go home, it's going to be neat to stop and look at the new statue and look at Walt's face and the smile on his face for everything he'd hoped for and walk away with that in my mind because that is going to kind of like the hope of what's coming next. So... It's really a great experience. And listen, I want to hear from those of you who are listening, whether it's this week or next year, are you planning on coming out to California Adventure? If you have, what do you think? Or if not, what are you most excited about? What is the thing that maybe is going to draw you out to Disney California Adventure Park? Is it Buena Vista Street? Is it an attraction? Or just car the Carsland experience yourself? I want you to comment in the comments section over at www.radio.com. I want to keep this conversation going a little bit longer. What are you laughing at? <laughs> I'm thinking, what's gonna, what am I most excited about right now? It's it's the bacon cheddar popcorn. Seriously, <laughs> I want to go see if it's over there. That's where we're heading next. Come on, let's go do this thing. Awesome. Well, listen, uh, leave your leave your comments in the comments section or call in from a... Listen, if you come to California Adventure, call into the voicemail at 407-900-WDW1. It's 407-900-WDW1. Um, Becky Menken from MEI and Mouse Fan Travel, who can help you book a trip, by the way, to Disney California Adventure and Disneyland Park, as well as Disney Cruise Line and Walt Disney World. Jeremy Marks, buddy, thank you so much. This has been a blast. There's so much that we've experienced together from D23 events to the Adventures by Disney and so much more. I can't wait to come back again with both of you guys this summer. Thanks all of you for listening and to Disney and to Pixar and the Imagineers and of course Walt Disney. Thank you for what you have done and what you have brought. I've said it for so long, now more than ever, it is a great time to be a Disney fan. Disney California Adventure, Buena Vista Street and Cars Land very much brings that home. Guys, thank you. Disney, Imagineer, Pixar, thank you guys and thanks all of you for listening as well. Cozy Cone Motel, baby. We gotta get across now. Or 
tell you what, we're going to have more fun than a barrel of monkey wrenches. That's a lot of fun. Sally and Lightning, partner Trey, K-I-S, something, something, something. But they'd have lots more fun with me at the junkyard jamboree. Twisted, whirling, whipping, whirling, good old-fashioned fun unfurling. Listen, tractors, while you're towing. Hey, you better watch out which way you're going. Bringing home tractors, now you're done. All your spinning's all been spun. Y'all come back, now we'll have more fun at the Junkyard Jamboree. Come on down and dance with me at the Junkyard Jamboree. It's time for the Walt Disney World sort of trivia question of the week where I ask you about Disney World history or trivia, play sound clips or ask you about lines from attractions for shows. But this week I'm revved up, pardon the pun, all about cars and cars land. So we're going to have a cars themed question. But before we get to that, let's go back to last week's question and announce our winner. So I told you on last week's show that I was thinking a lot about Walt Disney World history and going back in time had a real sort of renewed sense of nostalgia going on. So I asked you a very simple question. On Walt Disney World's opening day in October 1971, Tomorrowland had only two attractions in operation. And what were they? And the answer, of course, was the Grand Prix Raceway and the Skyway to Fantasyland. Remember, the Skyway appeared twice on maps, really as two separate attractions, one from Fantasyland to Tomorrowland and one from Tomorrowland to Fantasyland. And almost all of the few hundred entries we received were correct. And this week's randomly selected winner is Melissa Prowl from Clovis, California. So, Melissa, thank you and congratulations. I'm also going to throw in a bonus prize this week. In addition to all six of my audio walking tours of Walt Disney World on digital download, I'm also going to throw in a 40th anniversary Walt Disney World guide map from uh, October 1st, 2011. And as a bonus prize, I'm also going to send you a WW Radio pin, button, and luggage tag as well. So send me your address. I'll get those right out to you. Thank you again to all of you who played. If you didn't win last week, thank you for playing, but stay tuned because here is this week's trivia question. So I said I'm normally asking questions about Walt Disney World trivia and history, but I cannot get away from my excitement about Cars and Cars Land. The soundtrack from Cars and Cars Land is all I've been playing on my iPhone in my car this week. I've watched Cars twice since I returned home, as well as Cars 2 once. So, of course, this week's question, it has to be Cars or Cars Land related, but I also want it to be easy and fun. So this week's question is actually going to be very simple. Radiator Springs was replicated by Disney and Pixar in incredible detail at Disney California Adventure Park. And it really lets us, though, as you heard on my review, as though you feel as though you've stepped into the movies. And with nearly 300,000 square feet of rock work, it brings an entire mountain range and valley to a very limited space in Anaheim, just about 12 acres. But the peaks of the mountain range represent tail fins from the 1957 through 1962. So tell me, what make of car, not necessarily the models, just the make of the car, is represented in that mountain range? So those six tail fins from 57 to 62 represent a single make of car. Just tell me what that car model is. Email me at lou at www.radio.com by 11.59 p.m. on Sunday, June 24th to contest at www.radio.com. And I said this week's prize is going to be a little bit special. I'm going to give you all six of my audio tour downloads, but I'm also going to give you a very special Cars Land prize package. 
It includes a special limited edition AAA triptych. Uh, remember the old triptychs of Cars Land? An opening day, a June 14th map. That day, Cars Land was closed to the public. All of DCA was closed to the public, but it was the first day for media only. I'm going to give you that dated map of June 14th. I'm also going to give you a June 15th opening day guide map to Cars Land and a guide from Luigi's Festival of Flying Tires. That brochure has all kinds of games and puzzles, also from the opening day of the attraction. But this week, I also want to give you a bonus question. Give you a chance to win something else as well. You don't have to get this one right in order to win the prize package, but if you do, I'll give you something on top of it as well. So the bonus question this week is this. My favorite character from Cars is Luigi for so many reasons. He's little, he's Italian, his name is Lewis, yada, yada, yada. And each of the cars in Cars and Cars 2 are based on real cars, right? So, for example, Doc Hudson is based on a real 1952 Hudson Hornet. Mack the truck is like a Mack Superliner semi-truck. The King is a 1970 Plymouth Superbird. The Sheriff is a 1949 Mercury Club Coupe. Sally is a 2002 Porsche 911 Carrera, etc. and so on. So tell me, what type of car was Luigi based on? You just need the make and the model. If you give me the year, that's great. If not, give me the make and the model of the type of car that inspired Luigi from Cars. If you get this one right, again, you don't have to, to get the other prize package. If you get it right, you'll get a bonus prize, which is a Disney California Adventure backpack. Again, email your answers to contest at www.radio.com by 11.59 p.m. on Sunday, June 24th for your chance to win. So good luck and have fun. We've been driving That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks again for taking the time and tuning in this and every week. Thanks to my guests. Thanks to Disney and Disneyland for the invitation to come out and experience Cars Land firsthand. Thanks again to Disney, Imagineers, and Pixar for creating such an amazing, interactive, immersive experience. I cannot wait to come back this summer right before the D23 Destination D event. Stay tuned. I'll have more information about some meetups that we'll have before and during that event as well. And speaking of meets, the next WDW Radio Meet of the Month in Walt Disney World is going to be Saturday, June 30th. It's going to be at the Sunshine Seasons Food Fair in Epcot Center. There's food. It's air-conditioned. It's going to be at 10.30 a.m. so we can sit there, hang out, have some breakfast or lunch. Again, if you've never been to one of our meets of the month, please feel free and come by. Anyone and everyone is welcome. Bring the entire family come alone i promise you you will be surrounded by friends there there's no need to rsvp but you please come by get more information on our events page or you can also rsvp let us know you're coming by visiting the facebook events page if you visit wdwradio.com click on the events tab you'll find out more information about this event a link to the facebook page as well as other events and meetups that we'll have including our big e-ticket event at the american adventurers club Tickets are on sale now. We have just about 100 days to go. It's a great way to kick off Epcot's 30th anniversary. I promise you, you're going to want to get in now. There are many surprises in store that you're going to want to be there for. I promise you. Really going to be a fun event. Private dinner. We have rented out the entire American Adventure Pavilion for a very private dinner and special show from the Secret Society for the Preservation of Historical American Adventurers, Think Adventurers Club in America. It's going to be a lot of fun. I promise you, tickets are on sale but they are limited, so get them now over at www.radio.com events. 
And while I love getting a chance to meet you guys in person at events, I also love hearing from you and having you be a part of the show as well. So if you have a question you want answered on the show, email me at lou at www.radio.com or call the voicemail at 407-900-9391, 407-900-WW1 to be heard on the air. Another way for you guys to be part of the show is by joining us every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern over at www.radiolive.com. I do a live video broadcast and chat where you can come into the chat room and talk about this week's Walt Disney World news and chat with other Disney fans as well. We're on there for a couple of hours, usually right from Walt Disney World. Great way to connect you to the world when you can't get there. If you can't watch it live, that's okay. I'll post it on our YouTube channel. Come by and subscribe over at youtube.com slash on the WW Radio blog, and I'll post the audio in iTunes as well. Quick thanks to my partners and sponsors, Mouse Fan Travel. Becky Mankin this week and I had a great time at Carsland. She is the owner of Mouse Fan Travel. It's who I use. It's who I recommend. Whether you're going to Walt Disney World or out to Carsland this summer, Adventures by Disney or a Disney Cruise Line, make sure you come with us in November. Richard Sherman's coming on the Disney Dream with us November 4th through the 8th. Her team gives you incredible service. All available discounts, best possible prices, more importantly, at no additional cost to you. Visit them over at mousefantravel.com. When you're coming to Disney World, maybe you want something a little bit bigger. Maybe you want something with your own private pool or spa or kitchen or game room. Visit allstarvacationhomes.com. And if you want to stay right in the heart of Disney, the Swan and Dolphin is located right in between Epcot Center, that's where I still call it, and Disney's Hollywood Studios. They've got the most incredible, comfortable, heavenly beds, the Mandara Spa, and 17 world-class restaurants. You know, Blue Zoo is my favorite on the planet. Yes, even beyond the Cozy Cone, Shula's, Il Molino, and so much more. Visit them over at swanandolphin.com. And if you want to get some Disney magic delivered to your door, Celebrations Magazine. Visit them at celebrationspress.com. You can subscribe, order back issues. You can also get it now digitally, right on your iPhone or iPad. Take it with you wherever you go, celebrationspress.com. More importantly, my friends, and you are my friends, whether we have met yet or not, and I hope to meet you in person soon. If you like the show, all I ask is that you please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening. Share links on Facebook or Google Plus or Pinterest. And please come by, rate and review the show over in iTunes as well. Very, very much appreciated. Most importantly, I want you guys to remember that it is never too late. And today, right now, is a perfect time to start pursuing your passion and doing what you love each and every day. So stop being afraid of what could go wrong and focus on everything that's going to go right. Believe in yourself, stay positive, and as Walt said, always keep moving forward. Thank you all so very much for sharing the Cars Land experience with me this week, both on the show, through the live broadcast, through the tweets and the videos and photos. I promise I have so much more coming to you in the next few days from Carsland. Stay tuned to the site over at www.radio.com. So until next time, I hope you have a great day and a great week. See ya. Hello, Lou Mangiello. This is Ken from Philadelphia. I've been meaning to call you for a while. I've been listening to your show for a good long time. Uh, kind of personal. Uh, my son has been fighting some pretty severe health problems over, well, quite a while. And we've had some great setbacks, some successes, and you've helped us through quite a lot of it. Uh, we are right now on an upward trajectory, and my little boy and I um, and the rest of the family are planning to 
we continue this trajectory to uh, celebrate in Walt Disney World, where we're going to members, and we're already, and so confident that things are going to work out, that we planned a 17-day trip uh, across three different hotels uh, that we're going to start at the end of July and well into August. Uh, but just to give you an idea about how much he helped, we were, uh, yesterday he had a horrible, horrible, horrible day. It was just, uh, things were at their worst and you start thinking all the worst things. And, uh, we didn't know how we were going to pull out of it, whether we needed to go back to the hospital again. And, uh, you know, the anxiety sometimes. Uh, can make it much worse, and it does. And so we were quiet for a few moments. We were driving, and uh, I put on your show on podcast, and we listened for a bit. He started laughing, I started laughing, and uh, the joy of taking that trip through you uh, was extraordinary, and it turned everything around. We did not go to the hospital. Um, and we pulled over, and everything turned around for him. He suddenly ate really well, was laughing again, and today went to a doctor's appointment, and everything on the up. And really, it's your your mind that uh, is in you know 90% control of your health, and you helped us out a great deal with that. We're working our way through all the shows now. Uh, we're well beyond. Uh, we're on uh, 187. We just went to the D23 at uh, Disneyland. So if you play this message on your current show, we're probably not going to be hearing it for, for a bit. But uh, I want to tell you how accessible you are to our families, to my son's house, and to our joy. Uh, and I guess that's about that. All right. Yeah.